waves get lost in the ocean. Seven billion swimmers, man, I'm going through the motions. Hi, this is Nancy Yerald, and welcome to my show, High Road to Humanity. In every episode, I tell you powerful true stories filled with great wisdom that you can use in your own life as you strive for a higher road to travel. My featured guests will have their own unique stories to tell that enlighten your mind and your soul. So kick back, relax, and learn the secret to success when you take the high road. Hey, it's Nancy Yerald, and welcome to my show. It's going to be a good one today. But you know, I always like to start every show out with a story. And this week, this is a really interesting one. I have pulled this story from a book that Dale Carnegie wrote back in 1944. And this story will just kind of go to tell you that things just don't change very much. And so here we go. Sit back and relax. This is called Eight Words That Can Transform Your Life. A few years ago, I was asked to answer this question on a radio program. What is the biggest lesson you have ever learned? That was easy. By far the most vital lesson I have ever learned is the importance of what we think. If I knew what you think, I would know what you are. Our thoughts make us what we are. Our mental attitude is the X factor that determines our fate. Emerson said, a man is what he thinks about all day long. How could he possibly be anything else? I now know with a conviction beyond doubt that the biggest problem you and I have to deal with, in fact, almost the only problem we have to deal with, is choosing the right thoughts. If we can do that, we will be on the high road to solving our problems. The great philosopher who ruled the Roman Empire, Marcus Aurelius, summed it up in eight words. Eight words that can, can determine your destiny. Our life is what our thoughts make it. Yes, if we can think happy thoughts, we will be happy. If we think miserable thoughts, we will be miserable. If we think fear thoughts, we will be fearful. If we think sickly thoughts, we will probably be ill. If we think failure, we will certainly fail. If we wallow in self-pity, everyone will want to shun us and avoid us. You are not, said Norman Vincent Peale, you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. Boy, that's food for thought. I always say that we're little creators, and whatever you think you are is what you become. So there you have it. That's our story for today. Now, today we have a wonderful guest, and I'm so excited. I just finished his book. His name is Dean Slider. And let me give you a little bit of information about Dean, because let me tell you, he's a, he's a meditation guru from what, uh, from what his book has told me here and taught me so much. Um, Dean Slider has taught natural methods of meditation and awakening through the, US, through the U.S. and beyond since 1970. From colleges and yoga studios to corporate offices and maximum security prison. He is known for his warm, funny, down-to-earth style and for making authentic life-transforming teachings accessible and easy. He's a grateful student of stages in several traditions. He has completed numerous retreats in pilgrimages, hard for me to say, in India, Tibet, and Nepal, and the West. And Dean's books include Natural Meditation, winner of the Nautilus Award for Best Book on Body, Mind, and Spirit Practices. Wow. And he has appeared frequently 
in national media, including the New York Times, National Public Radio, Coast to Coast AM, O, the Oprah Magazine. When not writing or teaching, Dean plays the ukulele, I love that, and happily rides his Vespa through the streets of Santa Monica. His website is deanwords.com. And Dean Slider, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Well, I'm so excited. You know, um, this new book that you have out, and let me just tell the audience the name of the book, and then I'll let you kind of give us a synopsis about the book. It's called Fearless, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. So, Dean, give us a little synopsis about your book, would you? Well, the subtitle, you know, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction, we could have kept going. We could have added <laughs> loneliness, shame, et cetera, et cetera, confusion, bewilderment. Um, all of these, what in some of the Eastern traditions, uh, say in the Buddhist tradition, what they call the afflictive emotions, which we think of as being very different. You know, if you, you sit down with a psychologist or a therapist, they'll be trying to find out what is your presenting problem. Oh, I'm lonely. Oh, I'm, I have rage. But what the old traditions point out to us, the road-tested traditions point out to us, is that all of those seemingly uh, different problems really stem from one situation. They're really symptoms of one condition. And that condition is being cut off from what we really are. Right. We think we're we think we're this little you know organism, a hundred, two hundred pounds of of meat, just kind of wandering through the world, trying to avoid the all the sources of pain and and connect with sources of pleasure, and we do that for a while, and then we die. Now, if that's your picture of the world, and I think that's really most people's picture of the world, um, then uh, of course you're going to be afraid. Of course, you're going to get mad at the other hunks of meat that you keep b knocking into competing for the same little sources of pleasure here and there. Right. Uh, you know, multiply that by seven billion and you've got you've got our world. So, yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting. Well, no, I'm just thinking about this, you know, and, and this is so much what I teach, too. And I talk to people about it's not on the outside, it's on the inside. And we're so backwards right now in our world. Everyone looks at what we look like on the outside and what we have. It's not about that. It's mm -hmm. what is on the inside. And it's like, we need to flip it. And I just had to say that because I think that's what you're trying to tell people is get in touch with your inside, not your outside, right? Yes. And I mean, a, a useful way, I think, to, to think about it is that if we think, I'll, I'll bring in another little metaphor here. If if each of us, is, what we think we are is a little wave on the surface of the ocean, you know, it's, it's vulnerable. If we keep looking around, gee, these other waves look bigger than me. They look like they're <laughs> having a better time. And, and every one of them sooner or later crashes against the shore and disappears, this death thing, which is completely terrifying. But if we can take a little, a few moments to as you say, look inside, what we start to discover is, gee, if I look down into my base, oh, I'm not a little isolated wave. I'm connected with this vast thing, this ocean. And in fact, I can't find a place where the wave leaves off and the ocean begins. 
There mm -hmm. really is no separation. And also, I've been doing all this tossing around. I, everything just seems so tumultuous. It makes me think that, gee, I need some way to settle, to find silence. Well, it turns out that if I look down into my base, connect with the ocean, uh, which I am deeper inside, it turns out, oh, that's silent all the time. I go a few feet down, that water is already silent. So that's why the form of meditation that I teach is what we call natural meditation, uh, where we're not trying, what most people think meditation is, which is trying to still the mind, trying to clear away the thoughts, trying to create silence. And that's impossible. No one can do it because you know, any effort to create a non-agitated state of mind, that's a form of agitation. Yeah, so, and you know, I love that in your book, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but you talk about this in your book, and I love that. You say clap twice like this and stop your thoughts and just quit thinking. And I love that because sometimes we just get so caught up in our own self and our own thoughts, and it's like, wait a minute. And then in meditation, you know, we think we have to be in the silent place, right? But that's in your book. You're like, hey, no, that's not how you do it. You need to be able to meditate on the subway, right? That's what you talk about, and that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, and but it, and it well first let me clarify that that when I say okay clap your hands in front of your eyes and I don't say stop your thoughts. Okay, it, 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 we have to be very careful about the language because okay. no one can do that. I I've been at this for decades. I can't do that. What I say is drop your thoughts. Ah, okay. Okay, Thank you. very okay. important distinction. Drop means you you release your grip, you relax your grip on them. Now, what people will say, and you hear this so much in kind of meditative circles and spiritual circles, you'll you'll hear people say, "Okay, just let it go." Uh, you know, and I've I've said that. Whatever it is, this thing, you, the thoughts or the afflictive emotions, just let it go. And then you people will say to you, "But I'm trying to let it go, but it keeps being there." So that's why I don't say let it go anymore, because if you say, oh, but it's still hanging around, that's not really letting go. That's you're requiring it to go away. So mm -hmm. what I just say is relax your grip on it and don't worry about whether it's there or not. Just stop engaging with it. Uh, it it's like the the engine, the motor of the car can still be running, but you've you've released the clutch. Okay. Okay. That makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, look, if you were an enlightened being, if you were a Buddha sitting in the room where you're sitting right now, what would you require for everything to be cool, for everything to be okay? Would you say, gee, I would be totally chill if only... Oh, I don't like the color these walls have been painted. If only the walls were a different color, then I could relax and be chill. Or if only the, there wasn't the sound of the traffic going by outside my window. No. Right, you, and, right. and without knowing anything about Buddhas, we all intuitively know the answer. An enlightened being would just be cool with whatever's there. Now, thoughts are just like the sounds in the street. They're just yeah. like colors on the, on the wall. They're, when we understand, they're just like... They're one other thing that's there, and as long as we're not knocking our head against them, we're fine. We're doing okay. All right. Well, tell us more about this when we get back from our break here. Hang on. We have more stories to tell on High Road to Humanity. Check out Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, to book your first 30-minute coaching session for free to get you on your high road. Can I get a connection? It's Merging 
Last night, my husband was laughing as he was reading about the differences between men and women. According to the article, men get single tusks or hiccups more often than women. Everyone knows that women are better at multitasking than men. I'm good at both multitasking and procrastinating, which means right now there are 28 things that I'm putting off until later. What's another word for a person who puts everything off until the last minute? A cunctator. Women blink nearly twice as much as men. And while men can read smaller print than women, women can hear better. In fact, when a woman says, what? She heard you. She's just giving you a chance to change what you said. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. And welcome back. We're here today with Dean Slider, and he's the author of Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, anger and addiction and we were just talking about meditation and and gosh you have enlightened me with so many different things in your book that you can do um just to relax and one thing that i read in your book that i'd like for you to share with our audience dean is breathing through our feet can you kind of go through that because gosh that's such a cool thing to do yeah and as a matter of fact i put that right up uh near the beginning of the book in chapter two and i made it just two pages long because it's something that you can pick up immediately. Uh, we're we're going to learn that in about 30 seconds now, and everyone listening along can do this with us right now. Very simply, notice the soles of your feet. Okay, Put your attention there and the soles of your feet. There's no trying involved. As soon as I say that, soles of your feet, there, there's some attention there. You're kind of feeling them or imagining them, something like that. And then as you breathe in, just very naturally breathing in, just feel or imagine that you're breathing in through the soles of your feet. And now as you breathe out, imagine or feel that you're breathing out through the soles of your feet. And again, breathing in through the soles of your feet and breathing out through the soles of your feet. And one more, just breathing in through the soles of your feet and breathing out through the soles of your feet. And done. How are you feeling, Nancy? I'm relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Could you just visit me every day and we could do this together? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've got meditations on your website. I know you do. Yeah, I do. And and as a matter of fact, um, every other Tuesday night, we have a, a session here in Santa Monica. Anyone in the L.A. area can come join us uh, live in person. Uh, and everyone else, you can actually join us on YouTube. I, I stream them live and then I archive them. So we've got a whole bunch of sessions there uh, on the YouTube channel. Uh, but what I love about this breathing through your feet technique is that, again, you can learn and you learn it in 30 seconds yeah. and you can do it in any situation. You know, you're you're about to get up and give a, a talk in front of an audience, let's say, and uh, public speaking makes you sweat. So what you do is as they're introducing you, instead of sitting there 
completely caught up right. in your head <laughs> spinning and, and your palms sweating. Take that time to breathe through the soles of your feet. And then there's a, at least a part of you that is not caught up in the fear, that is not caught up in the anxiety. You've kind of poked a hole in that big scary monster. You know, all these, whatever our particular big scary monsters are, when we look at them more closely, we find out they're like, you know, the, the Macy's Day Parade, all those yeah. floats, they look huge, but it's because they're blown full of hot air. And that right. hot air is all our thinking about them, all our worrying about them. So these techniques are like little pins. All you, it takes is one little pin, and you make a couple of holes, and the thing starts to, not all at once, but it starts to deflate. And after a while, it's just this soft little thing bouncing around your ankles. It doesn't necessarily go away completely, but it's okay. It's just, oh, hello, old friend. How is it? I tell a story there about the Dalai Lama. Oh, you know, tell the story. Yeah, the the and I like to point out that the title of my book is not fearless; it's fearless. Two words. Uh, no one that I've met is is fearless, including the Dalai Lama. He is scared of worms, and, and I've heard him talk about it. But he, as he's talking about it, he's just laughing his head off. It's just become okay. There's this this thing, but clearly he's not caught up in it. Right. And and, and you so say smiling makes a big difference. Yes, um, smiling. And I love that because I'm one of these grumpy people that hasn't released all their anger, I guess, because you talk about that in the book, too. Yeah. But when you get up in the morning, you say, smile to yourself. If you can just smile to yourself, you'll wake mm -hmm. up and you'll be in a better mood. And I love that. I thought that was great advice. Yeah, it's a way of kind of cutting through the, you know, some people wake up grumpy. I was talking with someone the other day who told me, I wake up every morning angry. I thought, right. oh, God, that just sounds horrible. So this is a way to cut through it. Now, if you tell people just wake up and smile, you know, they may just try to plaster a kind of a fake-looking smile on their face. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't work very well. So I give there's, there's a few little details to it. Um, one way to do it is actually try to resist the smile in, with your mouth and let the smile dawn in your eyes. As if you're just feel it like the sun rising, the sun rising behind your eyes and just making your eyes break into a smile until finally your your mouth can't resist and your mouth follows along. That makes that's, sense. That's one way. Another way to do it is my one of my two favorite mantras. I'll tell you the second one in a minute. My one of my favorite mantras is here we go. One, two, three. Whee! And, and you say it three times, you tell people, right? Yes. And I Whee! do this. By the way, I, I, I teach <laughs> workshops all over the country. And in my workshops, I get, you know, the whole room doing this. And I make them Love throw it. their, throw. The, you can't see me because this is audio, but I'm throwing, flinging my hands up in the air as I say this. Whee! <laughs> okay. Now, it's what it sounds really stupid, which is one of the great things about it. Is that you know? It's you, we we spend so much energy just. Uh oh, am I being foolish? Am I being uncool? <laughs> so it's great to just be, just dare to be stupid. Throw your hands up and say we three times, and then I dare you to be grumpy. I dare you to be depressed. That's awesome, Dean. I love it. And there and there's science behind it because. It's been demonstrated. There's been, there's years and years of research showing that not only 
does our face tend to reflect what's going on in our nervous system, but it works the other way around. The nervous system will reflect what's going on in the face. It's, it's a two-way street. Okay. Now, what was the other thing you wanted to share with us? Uh, the, other, the other mantra is, and these are, this is my favorite because this is the, the natural mantra, and it's, ah. Uh, okay, let me try that. Here we go. Oh, uh, okay. Wow, I feel like I released something there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, it's, it's a two-way street. When we're relaxed, when we finally finish doing our taxes, when we finally f- uh, figure out what, uh, you know, what's been causing the toilet to leak, when we finally have the orgasm, when we finally, whatever, we say, (laughs) ah, but again, it's a two-way street. That letting go, that relaxation can be reflected in the sound or the the sound, we can start with the sound and that tends to bring about that state of of, uh, the nervous system. You know, one thing you talked about in your book, and I was I kind of already knew this, but I was just pleasantly surprised to see it, is when you talk about walking and how the sages used to walk. And, you know, I started walking with a friend. We walked three and a half miles, you know, a few times a week. And, man, I feel so much better. And then I'm reading your book and and, and kind of enlightened. You know, there's been some studies at Stanford University. And if you'd kind of share that information with Mm -hmm. our audience, please. Right. Again, there's a lot of solid science behind this. When you walk, it's a a cross-lateral activity. In other words, when your left foot steps forward, your right hand automatically swings forward with it and vice versa. And what this tends to do is to synchronize, to harmonize the functioning of the left and right hemispheres of the brain, which also is something that happens in meditation. So you're essentially creating a, to some degree, a a meditative state when you walk. I know that when I'm writing, I have to walk. I pace. I pace. I've got got my my computer set up in one corner of the room. And when I'm cooking, I'm walking up and down the room. And that's that's when the words flow. The, the And there are um, companies now, especially in Silicon Valley, that when they have a small meeting, a meeting of two or three people, they don't sit in an office. If the weather okay. permits, they get out on the road and they walk. And then everyone is more creative the, the, when, the, when the, boat, the hemispheres are firing harmoniously. The, the mind is more creative. And also you're more harmonious with the other people. This is this is my one secret of happy marriage that I recommend to people. I actually once in a while I'll, I'll uh, 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 ritual. I'll, what's the word? Officiate. I'll officiate at a wedding. Oh, okay. And and, uh, and the one piece of advice I always give to the bride and groom is take a walk together every day. Yeah, and I saw that, and I read it in my book, and I read it to my husband, and I said, honey, we ride bikes together, and I said, we're going to start walking, too, because this is really cool, and it does make you feel so much better, and it releases uh, just some tension, and just makes your mind, I guess, I feel clearer when I come back, I feel refreshed, I guess that's the word, Absolutely. absolutely, when I come back, yeah, absolutely, and when you're, and when you're walking with your partner or your spouse, 
And then naturally you may talk about the things of the day, the things that are on your mind, the, the you know, maybe the difficult thing that you wanted to bring up with your partner. But when if you do that when you're sitting together in a room, you are facing each other. You are literally confronting each other. That's what that word confront mm -hmm. means. Your fronts are facing each other. When you're do when the, you talk about the things while you're walking, you're literally seeing things the same way. You're facing the same direction, and that completely changes the dynamic. Yeah, that makes total sense. So you also talk in the book about believing is seeing, making up a story in our head. And that's similar to what I was talking about in my story at the beginning. We make these stories up in our head. Can you mm -hmm. share it? We've only got a couple minutes till our next mm -hmm. break, but can you share a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. You know, people walk around with so many stories, uh, the so many concepts that they project on top of the reality that's really in front of them. Uh, and this is one of the reasons if we come back to this, just, you know, clapping your hands in front of your eyes and drop your thoughts, that is relax your grip on the thoughts just for five seconds, because that what that does is it it loosens your the grip that the thoughts have on you, it loosens mm -hmm. up the, the story and you start to realize that they're just thoughts. For example, when you go to sleep at night, when you're in the state of deep, dreamless sleep, what's your religion? What do you mean when you're in deep sleep? I'm a when Christian. You're in, you're, yeah. Are you a Christian when you're in deep sleep? I'm a Christian always, sir. <laughs> uh, okay. okay. Um, when you're in deep sleep, you can't have thoughts. That's right. Right. So you can't. So the thoughts that are an integral part of your, you know, beautiful Christian faith or someone else's beautiful uh, Buddhist doctrine or whatever, you can't have those thoughts while you're asleep. Right. You can't be. Let's put let's let's take it to another area that may be easier to talk about politics. When you are in the state of deep sleep, are you a Democrat or a Republican? Yeah, or I understand where else? you're going. Yeah. With yeah. yeah. You can't you can't have the thoughts that that consists of so you you and and that's one of the reasons it's so important to sleep you get a break from all that it's oh. very refreshing we now, can talk can more about it after our break after our break on high road to humanity but make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on itunes iHeartRadio, or download directly from nancy's website nancyyearout.com so you never miss an episode of the high road study finds the happiest couples sleep the closest together, as in less than an inch apart. A survey of 1,000 couples found that 86% of those who kept such close perimeters reported they were satisfied with their relationship. Only 66% of couples who slept 30 inches apart or more reported being completely happy in their marriage. What's the word for getting up on the wrong side of the bed? Metutalipia. Another predictor of relationship happiness is touch. While 94% of couples who made physical contact throughout the night reported a happy relationship, just 68% of couples who kept their distance did the same. What's the word for the semi-conscious state between sleep and wakefulness? Hypnopompic. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. 
We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. And welcome back. And we're here with Dean Slider and his book, Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. And Dean, where can people pick up your book? They can get it in fine bookstores everywhere. <laughs> if, if there is still such a thing as a bookstore anywhere yeah. near you, if they don't have it on the shelves, you can order it. Otherwise, you know, I'm on all the the usual onlines, which is uh, you know Amazon and and Barnes and Noble and who, whoever has survived there. Also, if they come to my website, DeanWords.com. Uh, they can find information about all my books. I've written five of them and see sample chapters, and most of them are also available as e-books and audio books. Well, that's awesome. Hey, before we were talking on the break, and I wanted you to speak a little bit about how you've gone, you've taken this knowledge that you've learned, which I think is so awesome, and you've taken it out to the masses, and you've gone into our prisons. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you'd speak a little bit about, because it was just amazing to read in your book what you've done for um, a lot of people in prison. Yeah, uh, I love working in prison. It's, It's my favorite place to be. Uh, the guys that I work with there are really my teachers. I've learned so much from them because this is where I get to really find out if the stuff works. <laughs> you know, yeah, if, right. If, the stuff, if breathing through your feet can can help you chill in the middle of an environment where you're surrounded by people who may be dangerous and brutal, where and 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 some of them are in khaki. You know, your fellow prisoners and some of them are in blue, the, mm-hmm. the corrections officers. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if it can work there, it can work everywhere. And, well, and, and how did you get to, started? I mean, how did you decide that this is what you're I mean, how did you even get into doing this? Right. Well, I had this desire for many years, actually uh, going way back to my my hippie days when mm-hmm. I used to hitch or hike around the country with long hair. And I, I got briefly thrown into the slammer a few times myself. And uh, after that part of my life was, and while I was in there, you know, I got to uh, to notice, geez, most of the people in here don't have a lot of education, don't have a lot of economic opportunity. There's a whole disproportionate number of black and brown people in here. Hmm. Uh, And I've been so fortunate. I've been so, I've had so many advantages. So I always felt that, you know, then when, as I was so incredibly fortunate to meet teachers who showed me how easy it is to open up to that vast silence, that state of infinite okayness, which we are at our own core, that I I wanted to go back and share that. So in 2005, I started, I was living in New Jersey. I started doing this work at a couple of prisons, and I've continued to work at, um, Northern State Prison in Newark, New Jersey. If you've ever flown in and out of the Newark airport, it's it's almost next door. And um, it's just a terrific uh, group there. Hmm. And so when you go in, now, have you only worked with men? Have you worked with women as uh, well? Ju- just with men. Just with men. And then do they seem to continue this work on as you, you know, after you leave? Or do you go for classes once a week? Or how do you work that? 
Yeah, I live 3,000 miles away now in California, but the sessions have continued without me every Thursday night. And, oh, wow. what, and the, the, the Department of Corrections did not see fit to find a replacement for me. Um, so the guys run the group themselves, which is great. My old students teach the new students, which is fantastic. That is really cool. There's one chapter in the book called Testimony, where I take one particular case, one one really hard case, a guy that when he first came in, a, a friend dragged him in one Thursday night in 2005. And when he came in, his eyes were like hooded. He was looking around like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and but he he didn't say anything that first time, but he just sat. He did the meditation. And at the end, I could see, oh, he was a little bit softened up. And he came back the next Thursday, a little bit more softened up. And after a while, he, what you could just see what blossomed was this sweet, funny, happy, like child that had been buried underneath all this, this rage and all this fear, all these angry tattoos up and down both of his arms. And eventually, in fact, when I moved to California... He um, he's the one that t took over leading the group. Wow. And, that is so awesome. Oh, it's fantastic. And one day uh, and his hair was in long cornrows. Mm -hmm. And one day I got a little um, package, a little lumpy package in the mail from him. I opened it up and it was his hair. He had cut <laughs> off his hair and he sent it to me with a note that said, please donate this to Locks of Love for a child that's lost their hair to chemotherapy. Oh, my gosh. You changed this man's life. Well, I helped him change his own life. That's fantastic. And, and you know, your book is so full of these kind of things that can help people. And I think it's so wonderful that, that you wrote this. And I feel so blessed to have read it. You know, um, there's another thing you talk about in the book. And you talk about exercises. And I brought up to you that I was familiar with some of the, it's called the five rights, the Tibetan exercises that are old. Mm -hmm. But... Um, but you give exercises in your book, and, and can you tell the audience, you know, a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Well, all kind. you know, we, we just did the one uh, a few minutes ago of breathing through your feet and clapping your hands in front of your eyes, uh, using these, these different mantras. Uh, a, a wonderful one is, uh, I have a chapter on the voice, finding your fearless voice. Uh, and there's stuff there that you can do in the shower uh, in the morning, you're you're there anyway. Um, my favorite vocal exercise is to sing descending fifths. Um, if you're not a musician and the, that phrase descending fifth doesn't mean anything to you, just think of oh say can you see just the be the first two notes oh say ah. Now, I'm a baritone, so if you're a soprano or an alto or a tenor, you'll be doing it higher, but it's the same interval. Ah, and you hold that second note. Find the level where, where that second note, that lower note, is the lowest note that you can hold um, it, with full volume comfortably. And then and take a deep breath and do it and hold it for as long as you can. Uh, whatever it is for you. And you'll find that that opens up your throat, strengthens the, the muscles that are used in speaking and makes your voice 
more relaxed. You know how some people, when they talk, you just feel relaxed. You feel, well, there's something mellow about that. I could listen to this this person all day. Right. And and that helps give you that kind of voice. Oh, I'm going to use that. Yeah. That's awesome. You, you got it. You're on the air. It's a, I'm it's on the air. I got to use it. Right? Got to the... make my voice better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you say something else. You say in the book, and you say believing is seeing, making up a story in your head, and it's similar to the story I read in the beginning. But uh, talk a little bit about that when you say believing is seeing. What do you tell our audience what you mean by that? Well, we all have certain concepts, certain, um, we've all arrived at certain kinds of set ideas about things, about other people, about ourselves. And, and these are the stories. And then we're, instead of seeing things fresh, we tend to see things through those concepts. Instead of seeing and then defining, we, we define the thing and then we, we see the way we've defined it. There's a really fascinating bit of research that was done way back in 1999 by a couple of psychologists at Harvard. They made a video, and you can find this video online, okay. um, where it's very simple. The video is about a minute and a half long, and uh, they, they had six people uh, to tossing a basketball around, three of them in white and three of them in black. And at the beginning, a voice gives you the instruction, count how many times the white team passes the ball. Okay? okay. And then at the end, they, it, it tells you, okay, it was the correct answer was 15, but did you see the gorilla? Right, right. I think I've seen this before. Yeah. Right. And, okay. And I know what you're talking that about. In the middle of the, the ball being passed around, a guy in a gorilla suit crosses from the right side of the screen, stops in the middle, faces the camera, beats his chest a couple of times, and then casually strolls off to the left. And about 50% of people don't see the gorilla. That's crazy, right? Yeah. And it's because <laughs> it doesn't fit their concept of what is going on. What's going on is people throwing a basketball. So this is the kind of thing that we're doing throughout our life, most of us. So we actually, before the break, we started talking about this, this idea, okay, what's your, are you a Democrat or a Republican when you're fast asleep? And the answer is neither. You're not a conservative or a liberal or anything else because you can't have those, you're never really a Democrat or a Republican. You are awareness which has developed a habit of having de democratic thoughts or Republican thoughts. And when you go to sleep, you drop those thoughts for several hours. Now, that not only applies to our politics and our religion, it's all our stories like, oh, I've been carrying around this. I've got this pain. I've got this horrible thing ever since my childhood. Blah, blah. I've been carrying it constantly. It's such a burden. If only I could let go of it. Now, you do let go of it for eight hours a night. Right. Also, you let go of it. You know, what are you a Democrat or a Republican when you're parallel parking in a tight space? All right. You're parallel parking. <laughs> you don't have any bandwidth available right. Right. for for politics. So you actually, every time you sneeze, every time you're engaged with doing your taxes, every time 
you so actually thousands of times a day you drop those stories you you drop them a thousand times a day but then you pick them up a thousand and one times a day so just becoming conscious of that fact helps you become free of it you you see the dynamics of it you see how it works and then you can start taking hold of it you can clap your hands in front of your eyes uh or just consciously relax your grip on the thing one of my wonderful teachers muji who's a an advaita master from jamaica once i heard someone ask him he said he said just drop that whatever it was just drop it and the person said but muji how do i drop it he said you know how to drop it how do you drop a hot potato yeah just drop it yeah yeah mm-hmm. and if it and don't worry whether it comes back it's going to come back 5 seconds later 1 second later it will come back but then every time you drop it you are weakening its grip on you and then you start to see through the stuff you start to see oh that's just a story that's just a thought i don't have to be a slave to those thoughts it's the awareness that makes you aware change your thinking change your life right yeah it's 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 being even sigmund freud said something like that your consciousness is curative consciousness is healing right conscious of what's going on that yeah, that that's you true. outside of it not completely caught up in it that's wonderful advice you know when we come back from the break i want to talk a little bit about love versus fear that you talk about the book and i also want to talk about the tibetan monks you have a wonderful mantra mm-hmm. that that you uh, talk about in your book that i would love for you to share with our audience Good. when we come back And if everyone, uh, I, I talk about my... And more. Don't forget to visit Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, to sign up for her intuitive personal coaching program or to book a psychic reading. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. In celebration of what would have been author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Roald Dahl's 100th birthday, Oxford University Press has published the Oxford Roald Dahl Dictionary. The dictionary is both authoritative and a little bit mischievous and includes everyday words plus those invented by Dahl for his books. One of my favorite words from the dictionary is Zazimus. That is what the big friendly giant calls the stuff that dreams are made of, which he whisks with his magical egg beater. Roald Dahl loves the letter Z, which he uses in his mystical words like fizz whizzing, zip fizzing, and zunk. By now, you might be feeling a bit biff-squiggled. That's another word for confused or puzzled. It's marching in the world. 
I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. Hey, it's Nancy Earle, and we're back on the high road. And real quick, I got to promote myself a little bit. Hey, if you guys are interested in coaching or if you'd like for me to speak at your venue, uh, visit my website at nancyyearle.com. Today, we have a wonderful guest, and it's Dean Slider, and he's talking about his new book called Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. And Dean and I were talking um, on the break. I had mentioned in his book, he talks about the Tibetan monks. And there's a mantra that he teaches, and uh, it just really, uh, I don't know, hit a chord with me, I guess. And I, I checked it out yesterday, and, and I'm hoping Dean will share some information about this really cool mantra. It's for 49 days you do it. So fill us in, Dean. So this is what's called the Vajrasattva mantra, and it's a very popular technique in Tibetan Buddhism, which is used not just by monks, but by, you know, lay people as well. Um, it's, the, it's a mantra of purification. And this is especially a favorite with the prison guys that I work with. One of the most, I tell the story in the book, one of the most moving teaching experiences I've ever had was sitting in this, you know, cold in the winter, the, the chapel, which is really just kind of a cinder block bunker and it's freezing in winter and sitting there with these guys, many of whom never finished grade school, many of whom couldn't really read and write, memorizing word for word, this hundred syllable Tibetan mantra. And there's a whole visualization that goes along with it that starts with just brilliant, brilliant white light above your head. And as you chant the mantra, this light in the form of, of liquid, like liquid pure light, filtering down, dripping down through the top of your head, and then permeating your body, gradually working its way down, permeating all your tissues, and whatever your whatever you might consider to be your impurities, your misdeeds of the past, your illnesses, your hang-ups, your obstructions to your enlightenment, the obstructions to your life, you visualize those as just gunk. And this pure liquid white light just percolating through your system and flushing out all that gunk and flushing it out eventually through the through your bottom and through the soles of your feet and going down into the middle of the earth where it's burned up harmlessly. As you're you're powering the this whole visualization with the mantra. And there's fortunately there's a short as well as a long version. Excuse me. <clears throat> The six-syllable version is Om Mani, <clears throat> excuse me so much, <clears throat> here we go, Om Vajra Satwa Hung, Om Vajra Satwa Hung. So the whole time you're doing that visualization, you're chanting Om Vajra Satwa Hung, 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 Om Vajra Satwa Hung. Now, if there's something about this that draws you, you might want to look into the hundred syllable version, uh, which if you go to my website, there's, there's a link 
to an audio track where I do the hundred syllable version and you can get the, learn the words. You'll find online, you'll find translations of it. Don't get hung up on the translations too much because okay. there's a, there's a whole lot of kind of poetic, um, metaphors that that to, depending and translations can be very different from one to the other and and a lot of it might not make much sense and you're really not thinking about the meaning when you're doing that there's something about the sound you know like what's the meaning of we what's the meaning of ah? <laughs> in the same way what's the meaning of om vajrasato hung om vajrasato hung om vajrasato hung the meaning really is the sound it's kind of where the sound takes you that's the real meaning it's it's the experience it's the experience. I was thinking it was because, and correct me if I'm wrong, so many uh, monks or people have done this for so many years that the energy of it is so strong and that that's where the magic happens. Is that correct? Uh, I, that can be a factor, sure, um, uh, but, uh, but, it, but the sounds have to be right to begin with. And that's okay. one of the reasons why, um, while I'm not a... I think it's important not to be completely a, uh, a slave, completely hidebound about doing things the 100% traditional way because we're living in times that are different in some ways from medieval Tibet. At the same time, you want to use tools. These are power tools, and you want to use tools that have been tested. You, okay. want, to, you want to use vehicles that have been road tested over the ages. And, and India and Tibet happen to be the places where people have been road testing this stuff for centuries. And they found that certain mantras just resonate with the nervous system in certain ways and others don't. Oh, so that's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's the it's, energy of the the words the going resonating into your body. It, yes, think. it's the resonance. Exactly. It's the okay. psychoacoustic the psychoacoustic qualities of those sound vibrations. Okay. You know, you say something in your book, you talk about love and fear, and gosh, this is so awesome. You say perfect love casts out fear. Right. And of course, I didn't invent that. That's straight out of, as I'm sure you know, that's straight out of the Bible. Yes. Perfect love casts out fear. Yes. Now, <clears throat> the, of course, the tricky word there is perfect. Right. <laughs> right. I None mean, of us are perfect, right? Yes. Yeah, we, 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 you know, there's another part in the in in the Bible that where where Jesus says, "Love one another as I have loved you." Right. And that's a it's such a beautiful, inspiring admonition. But man, how do we love the way Jesus did? How do we love the way the Buddha did? How do we love the way Shankara and Lao Tzu and the Baal Shem Tov did? And, well, and and yeah, that but, was, but wait a minute, Dean, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but Jesus said, love your neighbor as you do yourself. Right. And if we could do that, you know, then we'd have it made, right? Right. I dare you. <laughs> I, let me, yeah, yeah. Wait, you know, we can get, we can really talk ourselves into, oh yeah, I'm so, I'm loving my neighbor as myself. But, but you have to, right? Because when you get up there to the pearly gates, you want to say, I did my best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tried. But, but, but meanwhile, on this side of the pearly gates, you know, when, I, when if I'm getting on a six-hour plane ride and someone tells me, gee, can I please have your aisle seat, and you sit there in the middle. There's no way. <laughs> I got to stretch my legs. I got to get up to the bathroom. Come on. I always say, what would Jesus do? <laughs> yeah, 
Well, I always uh, tell my kids that they they always ask me these questions, especially when they were younger. And right. as they got older, I'd say, "Well, what would Jesus do?" And they just look at me and say, "Okay, mom." And now they kind of throw it back at me because they're older. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, that happens. Right now, the uh-huh. thing is, the thing is that perfect love, perfect love, the love that really casts out fear, is if we go back to that example I used before, where we think of ourselves as little individual isolated waves. But if you look down into your base, you find out, oh, I'm really this vast silent ocean. Well, guess what? All the other waves are vast silent ocean and there's only one ocean. Mm -hmm. There's really only one of us here, which in in the various forms, you know, the the one ocean of beingness rises over here in a wave called Dean, and the same ocean of beingness rises over there in a wave called Nancy, and we just kind of wave at each other. Hi. Uh, When we settle down, when we both settle down into our base, we find out, oh, I'm this silent, vast beingness, and so are you. We're the same one. That's perfect love. Real love, perfect love, is not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. Feelings are great, but they're they're fragile. They depend on having so many circumstances just right. And so many people, you know, I meet so many people who you can see the sorrow on their faces because they feel I never got the kind of love that I wanted or I had the love for a while, but then my husband or wife lost interest or they went away or, you know, it was that my old boyfriend or my old girlfriend that things didn't work out with, that was the one. If only I was back with them, I would have this wonderful love. And for them to discover that if you go inside and you find this place where we're all connected, that that's the perfect love, that no one is ever isolated from it, that that real love, that perfect love, no one can ever lose. That is, that's really good news. Well, yeah, it's wonderful to hear you talk about the connection because we are all connected. And do you feel or do you see the mindset shifting to where people are more aware? I won't use the word enlightened, but mm-hmm. more aware of these things, because it seems to me that uh, as time, it seems time's going quick. But as we as we go along, I meet so many more people who are getting it, which is so mm-hmm. nice to see. And do you see that as well? Oh, absolutely. You know, I've been at this since the 60s. And when I first started teaching meditation in 1970, my old teacher at that time was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and he made us all get short haircuts and wear jackets and ties wherever we went to help convince people that this was something normal. This was something mainstream, not something weird. And still, every time I gave a public lecture, I started with, okay, this is not about flying carpets. It's not about lying on a bed of nails. And just people thought it was so weird. But, you know, my generation of teachers, we kind of were the shock troops and we've softened up the beachhead quite a bit. And now, you know, there's meditation courses at your local library or YMCA. There's there's corporate heads practicing meditation. There's There's major corporations that actually sponsor meditation classes for their their staff because they know they're going to get better results from them that way. There's doctors who will tell you to meditate because they know it's going to help that the, the stress component is a major component of most illnesses. 
Well, and that's true. I mean, if you can just help people relieve their stress level, I mean, you've done a wonderful thing for people. Mm. And that just, just the simple thing of breathing through your feet, believe it or not, I hope everybody did that because it really does work. It's crazy, right. but it works. Right. It's some and, really good stuff. And, and this is why something we were talking about on the break, uh, I like to give, as I do in this tool, in this book, give a toolbox of a lot of things you know, maybe most people find, oh, breathing through your feet, that's so simple and easy. I like that. Some people won't be so attracted to that. Some people will be attracted to doing the, the six-syllable mantra, oh, mantra, sato, hong, or other tools. And, you know, find the tools. If you find one tool or three or four tools that really, yeah, I want to use this, 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 something about this is calling me, then yeah. do that. Hey, listen, I just really want to thank you for being on our show, Dean. You really enlightened us. And next week, just so the audience knows, we're going to have a wonderful guest, Joe McQuillan, and he's going to tell us about his new book called My Search for Christopher on the Other Side. So we will see you next week. And thanks again, Dean. Tell everybody where they can uh, visit you, your website. So my website is Dean Words, with an S at the end, DeanWords.com. Trying to paint the picture for me Something I could give a damn about And maybe 40 years And I've been ready and willing and able to edit the story Cause there's so many people here to be so damn lonely Hey you guys, join me next week on The High Road for more stories filled with wisdom, love, and hope for our future. Have a fabulous week and know when you stay on The High Road, you make it to your destination. Visit my website at nancyyearout.com where you can sign up for my intuitive life coaching or a psychic reading. If you have any questions, please email me at nancyyearout at gmail.com. That's N-A-N-C-Y-Y-E-A-R-O-U-T at gmail.com. This is Nancy Yearout lighting the way to your high road to success. Right now, I'm switching to a new lane. Foot to the floor, man, searching for the real thing. Somebody else sometimes ain't no shame. Head to the